0: The music is down and we're ready to go. Thank you so, so much everyone for joining us for this extra special episode of Control-Alt-Delete. I've been making this podcast for a long time. I've been doing these live events for a long time. But this one I'm just feeling super excited about the most. I just It's a cause and a charity and a topic that is really close to all of our hearts. And we all just really want to be here and we want to say thank you for joining us. So obviously today's topic is all about periods. It's all about being unapologetic about our bodies we want to say thank you to holly as well the founder of this is our period and you'll talk about that more in a minute but this is all thanks to you and that team so thank you so much we are obviously here in shoreditch having some drinks but we want to talk about the global agenda of period poverty Um, not just the uk not just sort of here where we live. This podcast is listened to in over 100 countries so although we're all here together and that's really nice we're really excited about this message going out wider and something that every single person can get behind and broaden the lens basically much much wider so we're always thinking about this as a global topic. So on this amazing panel I'm so excited to have Tasha who is the founder of The Pants Project but also so much more and we're going to get into that you guys are going to introduce yourselves properly in a minute because I won't do you justice. We've got Anita Mitra, who is the gyny geek. And I just picked your brain earlier and, oh, God, you know so much stuff that I never knew, which is kind of bad that I don't know anything. And then Holly Bantaman, obviously, the, a period poverty activist amongst so many other things. So enough of my voice for a minute. Can you all just introduce yourselves in a nutshell, what you do and why you do it?
1: Um, I guess I'll start. So I am Tasha Bishop, um, and I am the founder of the Pants Project. Um, And it's pretty hard to explain that without going into the story of why I started it. So um, when I was 16, I was diagnosed with Maya-Rokitansky-Kusterhauser syndrome, um, which you can just call MRKH for short, because it's a bit of a mouthful. Um, And basically, it means I was born without a womb. um, And there are three kind of main components of how that affects me. Um, I'll never have a child, never have a period, and having sex involves treatment and an operation and blah, blah, blah. Um, and when I was kind of in hospital having that treatment, my I was very depressed about my body um, and didn't feel like I could call myself a girl, didn't really feel empowered as a woman. Um, so, my nurse told me to buy myself a pair of pants that made me feel really empowered, um, and I thought it was a bit of a bit strange piece of advice, but eventually took it um, about a month after leaving hospital and it was the first time i kind of looked at my body in about five years and really felt feminine and empowered um and that was kind of what inspired me to start the pants project and use underwear as a symbol of empowerment for women um in a number of different ways (laughs)
2: I'm the gynie Geek, and this is something that I started because I was really encouraged to see that there was a huge conversation opening up about women's health, about periods and hormones and all the kind of taboo stuff that I just think is normal. Um, uh, but I was a bit sort of perturbed because I saw there was a lot of misinformation and I saw that a lot of people were reading things that were just factually incorrect um, online and in magazines, and so I just kind of really sought to um, put some reliable information out there that was also engaging that women wanted to read. Because, you know, a lot of patients of mine, you know, the leaflets that we have to give them in the NHS are older than they are, so I just really felt that there was a need for something that is um, up to date um, but reliable.
3: I'm Holly Tolman. I'm largely based between London and Kenya. Um, About 10 years ago, I set up a really small organisation working with young people and women called Raise the Roof. Um, And one of the kind of key projects was a vocational training school. And we'd had problems with our attendance at the school. And one day we kind of noticed that girls were dropping out of the school, not completing at the same rate as the boys. Um, And when we looked into it, we realised that that was because they didn't have sanitary pads and every month they were missing school. Um, And in all honesty, that was a really humbling moment for me. Um, And I felt really ashamed that I'd missed something so basic that I was also experiencing myself because I suffer with very severe endometriosis. And so I, I kind of understood the restrictions that a period can have on someone. Um, And so, at that point, I kind of made it my life goal to make sure that, you know, women and girls were able to participate equally to men. And so, I began working on a reusable sanitary pad design, which then ended up being um, distributed by USAID. And 45,000 women and girls across East Africa got these pads, which was incredible. And then Donald Trump reinstated the global gag order, and our partnership with USAID was cut. And so I began working with this amazing woman called Juliana in Kenya, who you're all here today supporting because all the funds from your tickets will go to support a project that's really ambitious. She wants to set up a hub to produce sanitary pads, um, to create jobs for women locally and to ensure that there's always a supply available so that women and girls aren't affected by international policies like the global gag order and um, and you know having stepped more into this world we've really identified that there's a need to like bring all of these people together because there's a really powerful force in the UK at the moment talking about period poverty but I want to make sure that you know we're not forgetting women girls people that bleed everywhere across the world
0: that aren't in the same position as us at the moment so yeah yes I was at the global girl summit last week in Brussels which was really interesting and one of the statistics that came out of it said that women who are activists often champion campaigns that affect them directly which I thought was really interesting and I wanted to ask you how much of what you're doing are you doing because you'd want to help what you're going through?
1: This is something that I talk about a lot actually. Um, I always talk about my work as actually being really selfish um, and I've really needed what I, I really still need the pictures that I post of, of myself and, and other women in underwear being like, look, this is what my body looks like. It um, doesn't matter what it looks like really face-to-face or underneath. I'm still a woman because I define myself as a woman. And that's still a mantra that I need to hear all the time. Um, and so I, I need it as, as
0: much as um, I hope other, other people use it and need it. How much does that highlight that these topics just aren't... There isn't enough conversation happening. With connecting online, Anita, you were saying that sometimes you get a lot of messages from people messaging you quite desperately sometimes in your inbox on Instagram or whatever. People are coming to you really needing an answer, so what can we do?
2: Yeah, I think that there's um, a lot of desperation out there, and I think that it's because there's so much unmet need when it comes to information about women's health. Um, And I think that happens at many levels. I think that um, there's not enough good information um, provided at school. Um, And then I think also sort of as a society, we're not good at talking about that kind of thing because it's just something we're not used to. Um, And I think one of the most sad things that I see at work every day is people coming to me who've had problems for years, sometimes decades... Um, and they didn't come and speak to a doctor because, first of all, they may not have actually realised that something that they were going through was abnormal. There's a lot of things in women's health that we're just told to get on with or we feel that we have to get on with, and I'm talking about things like having very heavy, painful periods or um, particularly pain during sex. These are you know, two of the biggest things that really um, break my heart, really, uh, you know, that I see people think that they have to deal with it um, and just kind of soldier on. And so, you know, that comes from the fact that they don't talk about it, but also they feel embarrassed to go and talk to a doctor about it as well, even though that's our job. Um, And I think also some of that comes from people being a bit unsure about the kind of language to use to a doctor, Um, maybe not sure what the right lingo is, what to call different parts of their body. Um, And so I think that that's something we really need to educate people on as well. It's not just, um, you know, that it's okay to talk about these things, but actually how to talk about them.
0: That's so interesting around language and labels and being able to talk about things properly. Because, Holly, did you... When you first started having sort of symptoms and, and just chronic pain and flare-ups and all this stuff that you talk about, I feel like we're all one Google away from something really scary and um, and untrue. And we kind of find ourselves desperately trying to trying to find things out ourselves. How was that for you? What, what helped you? And, and where did you get to a point where you knew what was going on?
3: Yeah, actually, so I had a really long process getting diagnosed. It took me about seven years before they were able to identify what was wrong. And I've actually also now been told that they think my appendix was removed wrongly. And actually, I had really early signs of endometriosis when I was quite young. Um, But it wasn't really explored as an option. Um, But to honestly, the best thing that I ever did was talking to people and telling my story and actually I ended up, I used to work in a very male-dominated industry and I was in absolute agony and one day at a coffee machine I just told this guy that I was having a hell of a time in my periods and I didn't know what to do and I didn't want to tell all the men around me and actually his wife had endometriosis and so that kind of was the first point that I began feeling more confident talking about it and actually for me the biggest support has come from this community, like the people that you know, because Once you start telling your story, everyone has a similar story. And I think, and everyone has similar experiences with the GP. And, you know, I think that's really supportive. And so actually, yeah, it was more this community that enabled me to feel more confident with it and probably has led me to doing what I do now and,
0: yeah, doing that
3: every day, speaking about it. Yeah,
0: The the power of community and learning from each other. Um, Tasha, with your community, I wanted to ask you about how you make it so brilliantly inclusive you are so welcoming to everyone and anyone I wondered how important is language then from that point of view because we were also talking earlier about you know trans men and also lots of other things that you can miss out sometimes when you talk about things
1: it's difficult because it's such a dichotomy of I think some people are so scared that they're going to use the wrong language that they just don't want to talk about anything and they're so scared that they're going to miss out minorities and and that sort of thing. But I think if you're aware of that fear and you actually just embrace that and you're like, try and really educate yourself, like, it's not really a good enough excuse anymore to say like, oh, I I just didn't, didn't know unless you're like really open about it and you ask the people who do know and you ask the right questions. Um, And I was telling you guys earlier, I was having a conversation with an amazing um, trans activist called Charlie Craggs, who is a female and she said that after her transition, she found it really, really difficult to kind of immerse herself in the, in the activist commun- female activist community, because she didn't have a period. Um, and that's something I really understood because I feel like there is again, this dichotomy of like periods are so powerful and so many women get their power from their periods, which is amazing. Um, But then there's also this other side of the conversation where women who don't have periods feel completely left out. And I think as long as we're aware of the two sides to the coin um, and we're kind of talking about that, it's going to open up a huge conversation. So it's just about, like, opening up your conversation instead of just, I don't know, rolling with the (laughs)
0: punches or whatever. It's so true. And also when you think about periods, I mean, it's not just bleeding once a month moods and pms and side effects from taking contraception and missing periods and not having periods and your periods stopping and everything around that topic how important anita is it to talk about all of all of the stuff related to periods
2: yeah absolutely i mean i think that's so crucial because you know there is this conversation about periods but then there's all this other aspect of being a woman that can be missed out if the focus is just on periods and i think you know one of the things that I find there's a lot of anxiety about is vaginal discharge. And that's something that's completely normal and completely healthy. But a lot of people think it's this symptom. And then we also have this sort of message in the background being fed by um, companies saying that we need to use these washes and wipes for our vaginas and vulvas. And, and you know, that also breeds a lot of anxiety. So it's not just kind of like getting the um, the facts out there, but it's also making sure that people aren't being distracted by this um, sort of commercial interest that there, there has been in women's health and, and women's products over the last few years. Um, it's really interesting as well what you said about um, you know people feel included when they're having their period because actually this morning I was in clinic um, and I was talking to a patient um, and she had a problem that really you know we could solve only by doing hysterectomy but for her, that just wasn't an option because she did not want to lose her uterus. Um, and so it, it's it's interesting because I, you know, she's got these awful symptoms and we wouldn't do such a drastic operation if it wasn't going to be something that would really benefit her. But even though she's got these awful symptoms, for her, not having a uterus would make her so much less of a woman. Um, so we had a really fascinating conversation and uh, it's just, um, I think it's something that, when we're thinking about treating someone and what operation we can do, we have to really get into the mind of our patients and, and realise what impact it might actually have for them. Um, so I think it's really important that you know, people can talk to their doctor about that as well um, so that we can understand what you're worried about and what you're thinking so we can really make sure that we are offering you the right solutions and not just saying, look, we'll just do a hysterectomy and that's it.
1: I just wanted to jump in really quickly and like add something to what you were saying about... Um, women feeling like they don't... They aren't, like, real women or whatever without their uterus. That's, like, one thing that I was telling you guys that that's why I'm so passionate about period poverty is because if I was of the economic background where I couldn't afford sanitary care, like, no matter what country I'm in, then I would be the lucky one because... Well, in this country, I'd be the lucky one because... I wouldn't need to pay for, for the sanitary can. It wouldn't stop me from going to school or work. But in other countries, that's like a whole other problem as well because you're damned if you have your period because you can't go to school, but you're damned if you can't have children because that's unacceptable as a woman. Um, I don't know, it's just such a like...
2: Yeah, I think there's there's
1: so much more to um,
2: a uterus than just being an anatomical function and something that bleeds every month. I think that's so true. What you're saying about you know being, uh, it's almost like a positional thing in society as well, isn't it? So mm-hmm. it's really it's really important. I think to, just
3: like from my experience of birth, but like a lot of your emotion is ta- attached to that part of your body. I feel like every time. I go to the doctor and have to expose myself it's this like trauma because I'm like how many more guys need to look at me down there or like how many more people need to put something in me like there's a really like a real emotional part of it and I think we all feel that there and so I can understand like how that has an impact and people feel like they don't have a uterus or you know the various conditions and how that affects your mental health as well Unless you've experienced it, it's probably hard to understand. So I think we have to be like a bit more accepting that people might not have the right language. But yeah, I mean, there's a whole emotional side of it. You know, having to have conversations when you're quite young about whether you need to freeze eggs or, you know, actually your vagina and your bowel are fused together. If we take that apart, we might penetrate your bowel and that's going to cause a whole host of problems. Or we might penetrate your uterus and actually that will cause a whole host of other problems. And so there's a lot of... There's a lot more than just, like, nip in there and cut it away or laser it away. It has, like, a lot more. I mean, Anita can probably talk about it a lot more from a medical side. But, um, yeah, and it can be very debilitating. I went through a period of time where, like, I physically couldn't go to work. And that played out in a whole host way, having to miss amazing opportunities of things that I wanted to be a part of, um, but I couldn't because I literally couldn't get out of bed, or having to admit to colleagues that actually, like, it's my period that's stopping me from coming to work today. Like, I feel like there's a a stigma and a shame attached to that as well, and there shouldn't be, but um, yeah, I don't think we're quite past it yet. But us having these conversations
0: is what's slowly changing that. Totally, and Anita, with what you were saying about information being out there, and sometimes it's unfortunately not true or just bad quality advice. Where where's the first port of call, do you think, um, just to eliminate, yeah, any sort of fake news situation? Yeah, I think
2: um, yeah, you have to be careful with what you read um, online. Um, and obviously, you know, check the source of who's writing it. And um, if they're, you know, really pushing a particular issue, is there some kind of like um, conflicting interest there? So are they actually trying to sell you a product? Because I've noticed a lot of that, um, a lot of companies putting information out there, but actually there's some subtle undertones that they're pushing something. Um, obviously, the NHS website is um, the most reliable when it comes to information in the UK. Um, I do acknowledge it's maybe not always the most engaging. Um, so I'm trying. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I think always, um, if you're unsure, then check other sources, but do um, do speak to a healthcare professional, speak to your doctor.
0: And about growing community, Tasha, with your um, platform and your project and what you're doing... Is there anything tangible you can tell us about what, what to say to someone who's going through something, whether it's a friend or a stranger? Sometimes I feel like even not what to say is useful sometimes. Um, and I guess that's just me asking that broad question because sometimes I think it's hard to know what to say when someone's going through something like this. I think
1: I still... The, the people who've really helped me when I've talked about something sensitive like when I've had a bad day with MRKH or something. Um the most unhelpful things people say is, oh I actually hated being pregnant, so like don't worry, you're not really missing out. <laughs> like that's so unhelpful. Um because like that's all you want when you everyone understands when you can't have something, like that's all all you really want. Um and there's been other points that I've and I know they haven't meant it and that's what's really difficult is I know they're trying to help. Um, and I've had times when when I was at school and I was like 16 and I'd just been diagnosed and all my friends were like complaining about their periods or they, they were like weren't swimming because they had their periods and stuff and I just so badly wanted to be part of that club um, and that was really difficult but the most useful times I've had with friends or like with my mum is just when people actually listen and don't say anything um, and they just let you open up and maybe ask small questions like why do you feel like that or like does it hurt or ask the questions that they actually have in their mind not the ones that they think you want to hear um so it's just about being really relaxed and and gentle and and asking questions instead of telling people what you think they should hear because it's usually not right I think that's that's really applicable
2: to lots of um, sort of women's health issues as well, because I think, you know, a lot of taboo things that people don't really know how to talk to people about. So I think what you've just said is really good advice for um, a lot of different conditions.
0: Definitely. Um, On the brief for this event, we wanted to be really angry because it's awful what is still happening out there, but we also want to bring hope. Anita, when it comes to your job and also the fact that you've built this amazing Instagram community and everything that you're doing. I was about to kind of spill the beans on something that you're working on that hasn't been announced yet, so won't do that on the podcast. Um, But what bits of your job do you love and what have you seen kind of improve or just in general sort of get better whilst you've been doing what you're doing?
2: Uh, The things that I love, um, well, delivering a baby, there's no greater pleasure than that. And I do love the Simba moment when I do a cesarean section and I hold up a baby and it's just really nice. Also, I, in a strange way, enjoy Being with people on the worst day of their lives as well. Um, Just trying to make an awful situation better for them. Um, And just really, I, I love getting to the bottom of what my patient really wants to know. The worst thing as a doctor is seeing your patient walk out of the room and thinking didn't quite get to the bottom of what they wanted I feel like there's still something more that they want to know Um, so I really like to take the time to um, yeah just make sure that all questions are answered Um, and I really enjoy also just sort of like following on social media and in um, magazines and newspapers about what kind of things what kind of myths are being um, put out there and just making sure that I uh, give my opinion Um, my researched and qualified opinion I would say
0: (laughs) And with the endo conversation, have you seen that kind of grow and actually become a bigger community? Do you feel like you've got more resource now than you did before?
3: Yeah, definitely. I think um, there's a few more sort of charities and NGOs popping up now that are raising funds to do research on it so that doctors are able to understand it better and then hopefully that will improve diagnosis time. Um, so there definitely is. There's actually an endometriosis foundation in Kenya that I'm also associated with, which is amazing to see that it's you know, one of those things that we're still not fully understanding here but like Kenya's also really pushing it and that's been really amazing for me to see um but yeah I think all of these issues are very often linked through various things whether it's the emotional side or the physical and so I think there's actually like a bigger community across the whole of the women's health space and I think that's grown a lot in the last couple of years and we're finally in a position where we have platforms and people are feeling more confident speaking about it um, and we're now starting to speak about it everywhere in the world so I think there's a lot of work to do but I think we have a
0: really powerful community behind us that can, yeah, can really take that somewhere. And does that make you feel as well more connected to you know, when, when you go to other countries because I feel like it's the same with the mental health discussion, mental health doesn't discriminate with how much money you have in your bank account or where you live or what house you live in or what your voice sounds like. And it's the same with physical health. I mean, to a degree, we have obviously way more help over here, but we are all the same. And do you find that when you kind of go over there and speak to people?
3: Yeah, it's an interesting question because I feel like you can, once you start talking about your period, you can pretty much connect To every person that bleeds or doesn't bleed, everyone has a story about how they've been affected by it in various ways. And that's exactly the same when I'm in Kenya. Um, You know, I meet girls that will talk to me about how their periods are really heavy and they can't get on a bus or there's girls that have never had a period and they're worried about when it's going to come or if it's ever going to come or you know women that will tell me the stories of their endosurgery and how that was really traumatic and so I think it's a really uniting factor although it's you know it's an issue that we really need to fix it's something that we can mobilize around and something that brings us all together as well and I think that's really powerful
0: and that's what you're doing with your this is period project is it is about bringing everyone together um obviously all of you guys are activists in your own way and I kind of believe the word activist people are scared to call themselves it unless you're like really out there like throwing ketchup on people sort of stereotypical stuff and actually activism I think can be a really small thing it could be an Instagram account it can be going on marches but it can be lots of small and big things I wondered if each of you could share I'm going off script here so don't freak out um, I wondered if you could share a, a kind of a, a an amazing thing but also a learning of you know how not to burn out for example um, about being an activist
1: one thing that I I get asked this question a lot um, especially within the kind of infertility community um, and One thing I always say, and it's actually still something that I really, really need to remind myself of a lot. um, But I always try and remind myself that what I am living with and going through, I still have to go through that when I come off of Instagram, when I stop doing an event. I have to live with that every day. Um, So it's about checking in with that and actually giving myself as much self-care to kind of combat the having to be um, empowered and, and, and strong for, for other people. Um, so if you're passionate about something, you're going to want to throw your entire life into it. Like when I met with Holly the other day, she was, she was like saying that pe- people say, if you love your job, you never have to work a day in your life. Well, that's just so not true. If you love your job, you'd spend every minute of every day doing it. Um, so it's about, yeah, just, checking in with that and realizing that you actually have to live your life and you have to deal with yourself and and help yourself. Like if you're completely burnt out, you can't help anyone else. So it's really important to prioritize yourself.
2: Yeah, that's really true and I think that's something that Holly and I um, talk about quite a lot actually is kind of what we're doing for like self preservation (laughs) Um, because as you say you can't help other people if you can't help yourself Um, and so I think it's really important to be like part of a community where you're with other people who are um, doing the same thing because it is quite hard to put yourself out there and live kind of like the online life and um, you know you always feel like you're subject to criticism even though you're doing something that you really truly believe in um, I think that can be quite hard so yeah it's all about kind of like everyone sticking together and uh, working as a team
3: I was going to say that I have an answer but you two absolutely brought me out <laughs> so I've got no answers for this other than that like what Tasha was saying is very true like it's a really fine line between absolutely loving the work that you do and wanting to give everything to it but at the same time remembering that you need to kind of just keep a little bit of yourself back because like I've been there I've had a month in bed where I couldn't get out and every part of me wanted to but I was just had fully given everything for 12 years and it just hit me like a ton of bricks and so I think we just have to be really aware that we think we're superhuman but we're not (laughs) so yeah I think just being mindful of the fact that Yeah, it does catch up with you. Um, So, yeah, just keeping a little bit of yourself back, I think. I'm still learning. Who knows? I was just going to add one
1: really tiny thing I literally just remembered
3: as you were saying that, Holly. (laughs) I got an an email. Well, it wasn't even an
1: email. It was a Facebook message, which I thought was a bit of like a violation of privacy, but whatever. (laughs) And I went to school with her and barely, literally, like, barely spoke to her. Um, And I kind of had this... I barely knew her. had this message from her that was like a round-robin email with my name kind of at the top. Um asking for help with something and she sent me I was literally so busy last week and I didn't read it and like didn't reply after like two days but I knew I was going to reply at some point and she sent me this really angry email um message being like like how dare you not reply like blah 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 and it suddenly and I was speaking to my, speaking to my mom about it because I was really obsessed about it and she was like you have to remember that you don't owe people anything you don't owe people your life or your time you're doing it because you want to do it um and it's just really important to remember that that. At no point does this become everyone else 's life or yeah. everyone else 's
0: job it 's yours so true, um, so true, and I think everyone can relate to that because the demands put on life a twenty first century life it 's nonstop um, and having like eight different inboxes it 's like, God, why so many messages all the time people?" Um so before we open up to questions because we 're all in this room together it 's really nice and intimate um what 's nice is you all chose to be here, so thank you and although we 're on our west live stalls um <laughs> we 're not like on we're a really stage good, or anything <laughs> um so before we do questions, so if you have one please please think of one now. Holly, do you mind ending on a note of what can we do because I think you 're a great person that is very um actionable you get things done so what can we do to help so I think the first step is like being here in this room, being willing
3: to have the conversation, I feel like that's the first thing we need to do is be more open. I think the second thing we need to do is make a commitment to ensuring that we are talking about women, girls, people that bleed across the world because this is something that affects everyone. It doesn't stop in this room. Um, and showing that commitment, you can visit the Project Period website. This is our period.org And on there, you can take the period promise. And from that, we'll be sending out, and is available on the website, a whole host of ways that you can get involved in period poverty globally. Whether that's connecting you to organisations that are championing this in Kenya or India or in Colombia, um, you know, showcasing events like this that you know giving you an opportunity to more deeply engage in this as an issue. you know, we'll connecting you to people like Anita and Tasha who've got amazing stories to tell. So I think, yeah, have a check of the website and, and, yeah, make sure you come to the events and just be mindful that this isn't, you know, something that stops in the UK whilst we feel like around us it's getting a lot of noise and finally the government is starting to listen it's not the case everywhere in the world and there's millions of people that believe that aren't in a position to be able to talk about their stories openly and that stops them putting pressure on their governments and therefore policy will never change. Um, and so yeah, I think having this conversation and the story is an amazing first step to take on that journey.